Welcome to the Life of Christ, part two. This is term two, lesson 17. Now, what I need to do to bring you up to speed is go back a couple of pages. So I'm going to actually begin reading in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. You can stay where you are if you want. You should all be on page 5. Um, but I'm going to start reading in... In fact, go back to page 4. I'm going to start reading in Matthew 3, verse 13, because that's where this all begins. It says in Matthew 3, 13, Then, this is at the height of John's baptizing activity, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Verse 14. And Jordan tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, verse 15, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. And Luke 3.22 says here, you, you are my beloved son, pointing to a relationship shared by no other at this time, and reinforced with, in whom I am well pleased. So once again, we're at the top of page 4. There are several things to be noted here. First, notice again that all three persons of the Trinity are expressed. So if somebody is arguing with you about there's only one God, well, you can take him to this verse and show him there's three there. Amen? The second thing was Jesus attached a great deal of importance to prayer. All right, And remember again that this was uh, in Luke's Gospel. And it showed clearly that he was ever dependent on God the Father. So Jesus was constantly praying. And Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke's gospel seems to be the one Gospel that seems to bring the prayer aspect of Jesus. Or the prayer ministry of Jesus out. A great deal. The others will finish an event and move on, but Luke's gospel will say, and then he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed, or something. It, it's just very interesting. I've started to note that several times. Third, in verse 16, Matthew goes on to direct our attention to something of great significance by saying, Behold, or look, and he says, The heavens were open to Christ. Now, we talked about that before as well. So I'm not going to look at that. I just want to go through the things that we looked at, just very quickly. And the fourth thing, following this great miracle, it says that the Holy Spirit of God descended in bodily form like a dove, meaning that not only was it under the symbolism of a dove, that the third person of the Trinity manifested himself, but also that there was an ob objective reality to his presence as well. All right, Meaning he had a physical and a visible form. Amen? All right. Now... This is where we kind of left off last time. The Full Life Study Bible, I'm on page 5. The Full Life Study Bible says, Jesus, who from the beginning had been conceived, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is now personally anointed and empowered by the Spirit for His ministry. In other words, while there was never a time when the Lord was not filled with the Spirit, it was only now at His baptism that the Holy Spirit came upon Him and anointed Him with power for service. All right. In fact, it is for this very reason that Jesus would go on to say to his disciples in Luke 24 verse 49, But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. And it's also similar to Acts 
chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let me slow down now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we've caught up. Now, there's going to be some people, when, when, we were, when we first started ministry, and we had a lot of people come and try to tell us what to do, and you know, because they all know better. All right, and uh, <laughs> one of the people that was involved in that was an individual that said, well, now there's a difference between the Spirit within and the Spirit upon, okay, which is what this is talking about. And this individual was sort of saying, oh, you know, your statement doesn't have both of those things and so on and so forth. One of the things that I learned earlier on from a very old and wise minister is he said, keep things simple. Amen? He said, you don't have to make things complicated. All right? And he said, you don't have to tell everybody everything, necessarily. He said, keep things simple. And I realized something, that things change along the way. Your understanding of things change. And you know, every, if you make things too complicated, then every time you change any minuscule thing, you have to go and change everything you've said. Do you understand? So that was one of the things that, if you look at our statement of faith and all the rest of it on our website you'll notice that things are fairly simple. You know, I don't go into a lot of detail about things. There are some things that are important. Okay, and that was something else that this gentleman said to me. He said, make sure that the things that are important are important. Those things need to be on there. Do you understand? So the things that we put on there are, are essential things. But if we wrote everything we believe, there wouldn't be room enough on that place, on that webpage to handle it all. <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say? And so, one of the things I want to bring out here is, yes, there is a difference between being filled with the Spirit and having power from on high. And we see that in the life of Jesus and John. We see, you know, remember the Spirit inside, the baby was inside, and when they came together, remember all that? That the baby leaped in her womb, and the Spirit was active, do you understand? And we know that Jesus Christ had that spirit within him all through his life. But it was only when he got baptized in the Jordan that the spirit came upon him and empowered him for service. Do you, do you understand? All right. Now, the reason that I'm bringing all this out and saying there is a difference is to say that we're in a new covenant now. See, they didn't get born again. Follow me now. They were still dead inside. They didn't have a new creation. Alright, that new creation, that's why Jesus said, you don't understand, I have to die. I have to go to the Father. I've got to do this. For everything to come, I've got to go. <laughs> okay? He said, I know you want me here. You think it's a great thing to have me here, but it's not good for you. They didn't understand. They said, how can it be good for us for you to go? You're the one that pays us. You multiply food. There's never a problem. Somebody tried to get funny with us. You do a thing and they, you know, whatever. Like he never did that. He could. But, you know, they felt very safe around him. They thought, this guy can raise the dead. I'm sure he can put a few in the ground as well. <laughs> you know? I'm sure they thought that, all right? You know, it was there. But, you know, so they, they were sort of thinking, well, you know, Messiah and all that stuff. And they could not figure out, they couldn't work out why it was going to, it had to be done, that he had to die. What he was saying was, listen, while I'm here, and they never heard this, while I'm here, I'm on the outside. When I die, I'll be on the inside. Christ in you, hope of glory. Jamie's favorite scripture, Galatians 2.20. It's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Amen? So, that was the key. 
And the thing is that, you know, as people split hairs about this, don't let them and don't get caught up in it. Alright? Understand something that a lot of times they're arguing with things that may not be the case today. The whole thing is this, that we understand that when we get saved, when we get born again, again, which is something that they never knew about and didn't have, alright? When that happens to us, the Bible says that you are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. Amen? So something has different has happened. There is a new creation. It is spirit-empowered. And that's the reason why a lot of times people, as they get saved, they'll start talking in tongues straight away. Nobody prayed for them to get filled with the Holy Spirit or anything. It's just a natural thing because you hooked up with God and there's a part of God in you. Do you understand the difference? So that's why it's pointless splitting hairs on that. And I want to share that with you today so that you go away. And I hope I haven't confused you. I hope you understand that when you got saved, it's all... That, see, this is the reason why I don't have to pray for people so much to get, you know, to speak in tongues and get filled with the Spirit and so on and so forth. I don't have to do that. Because I know it's already in there. The only thing is you need to know it's in there and you just need to let it out. Amen? And it just, it might take some time as well. Amen? And you know what? Don't get upset if you don't get it straight away. That's all I have to say. You know, the harder you try, the further away it will get from you. I've just found there are some things, when you're at the, in that place, when you are being still, and knowing He is God, things start to happen. Amen? So, allow that to be your consolation. Allow that to be your wisdom, your guidance in that area. Alright, so... That was meant to be a quick word, but never mind. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Um, hopefully, you receive something from that. So again, you know what I'm saying is, don't get into argument about these things. Just say, look, we live in a new covenant. We we have a better covenant, in fact. All right, built on better promises, and we are better. We are alive on the inside. There's a new creation there. All right, so. The Full Life Study Bible tells us that everything Jesus did, <clears throat> His preaching, His healing, His victory over sin, He did by the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus could do nothing apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Spirit's enablement? Now, I've already qualified this on Sunday, but let me do this in this Bible school setting, because not everybody goes to church on Sunday. All right, and whoever is listening to this needs this. But understand something. When people say that you can do nothing apart from God, okay, it's, it's not saying that you can't do anything full stop. Because there are some very successful people in this world today, and they, you know, in a sense, get along without God. And they're successful, and they've got all the stuff. But you need to understand, when it says you can do nothing, this is talking about things that need God's enablement. Things that need the power of God in your life to do. Do you understand? So you want to you wanna lay hands on the sick and watch them recover? That ain't going to happen. No matter how smart you are, that's not going to work. Amen? No matter how capable you are, or whatever else you are, you need God's power for those things. And I've, I've spoken to you about this before. When Jesus said, you can do nothing without me, He meant all the works that He did. Amen? And that He went on to say, and greater things than these shall you do, or greater works than these shall you do. Multiplying bread, all that stuff, you need God, you can't do it on your own. Alright, so, returning to Matthew chapter 3. The fifth thing that we need to take note of, 
is in verse 17, when God the Father says to Jesus Christ, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, here God Himself confirms that Jesus Christ is His Son, and thus the second member of the Godhead, just as John 1.1 and 1.14 brings out. And with the words, in whom I am well pleased, God also lets us know that Jesus had indeed lived a perfect and sinless life. Besides the fact that there was a great love between Father and Son, okay? But I want you to understand, so there are two things here. Number one, God confirms, and that was really important. Because remember, let me, let me share something with you now. It might be a good place to actually share this with you. The Gospels were written after Christ died, okay? And when we understand that, when we actually take note of that fact, all right? we begin to understand something, that they all wrote what they wrote to let people know that He was the Messiah. Alright? And also, they wrote it in such a way, everything that they did and everything that they said, you know, I never really understood this until very recently, they were actually showing that this, these are all the reasons why He was the Messiah. They actually show what made Him the Messiah. All right, all the proof that supported him being the Messiah, and then the way that the religious leaders began to accuse him and began to turn on him, because what the big question was, if he was the Messiah, how come the religious leaders were so much against him? Do you understand? And this was a big question that needed to be answered. So what you're going to find is that all the way through the Gospels, the, the writers begin always by showing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And will give all kinds of proofs. And then they'll start to, and we'll see this as we're studying the life of Christ. You will see this so clearly. That they start to turn on Him a little bit here and a little bit there. It begins with awe and amazement. And then slowly, things start to fall apart. Alright, Jesus Christ continues doing and saying what He has to say. The problem was, that, and this is what the, the writers of the Gospel start to bring out, that there was a conflict brewing right from the beginning. The reason was, Jesus Christ was the way, the truth, and the life. Alright, and the religious leaders were teaching error, and were teaching doctrine, and were teaching tradition. And so every time Jesus Christ came on the scene, it would upset their tradition. It would upset what they had learned, and what they were telling the people to do. Do you understand? And especially in Mark's Gospel, you know, chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel is all about how amazing Jesus is. As soon as you hit chapter 2, suddenly there's opposition already in chapter 2. By chapter 3, they want to kill him. Alright, and so but as you start to follow this thread, you begin to see how the religious leaders slowly, instead of submitting themselves to their Messiah, instead of going, okay, you know what, we've been wrong, we've been messing up. You're right in what you're saying, you're right in what you're doing, we've been petty about... Should we do this on the Sabbath day or that on the Sabbath day? My gosh, it's more important that people's health and people's well-being are taken care of. Regardless of what day of the week the thing is. And the Sabbath was made for the man, not the other way around. Okay, we weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. Which means that rest day was made so that we can rest. So that it's good for us. Now if we're sick, who cares if it's Sabbath day, man? Get healed. And they would get upset. 
they, go, they get to the place, and I think it's incredible, and we're going to see this as we get there, is that they'll get to the place where they'll even go past the fact that he can heal. They can't heal, but they just go right past it, and they ask the question, is he going to do it on the Sabbath or not? Wow. I mean, seriously. That's the big question. You don't care about the guy that's getting healed? Amen? So, as we go through these, I want you to begin to notice this. And you'll notice this thread coming in. And all of the writers are letting you know, and letting the people that were reading the Gospels at the time know, this is why they crucified the Messiah. Do you understand? It was all threaded all the way through. And again, like I said, it will become very clear to you as you go through. Now, at the same time, all right, we can't take away from every single event. And that's you know, one of the reasons that they put all the events in. Now I also understand why there isn't so much more written about the miracles that Jesus did. John said, if we wrote everything, there wouldn't be room enough for all the books to contain what he did. You know, when I read that statement, I thought, why didn't you write it? <laughs> I want to know all of it. And when you're reading the Gospels as well, you know, keep that in mind. Watch, watch that progression. It's, it's very interesting. That doesn't mean that what he did wasn't outstanding. And that's really where the contrast is. They contrast what Jesus did, what God was doing for man, and how religion was opposing it every step of the way. So what do we learn from this? Keep doing what God asks you, and know that there's going to be opposition, and it'll probably come from your camp. Isn't that interesting? All the opposition came from within the ranks. So something to think about. All right, let's move on. Sorry to take that time out, but I just wanted to share that with you because I think it's important that you see this as we move forward. All right. So I said all of that to say this, to bring this point out. When we see here again that God himself confirms that Jesus Christ is his son. That was a key thing. Do you understand? That's the reason why they put it there. This is the, the gospel writers establishing this is the Messiah. There's no question that's the Messiah. Alright, so when he's murdered, we need to understand they murdered the Messiah. So to make that point, they have to do this and say and bring all these facts out. Okay. So notice the two things again. Number one, God Himself confirms that Jesus Christ is his son. Because remember, they said, How are we to know you are the Messiah? Here is God confirming it. Do you all get this? The second thing, in whom I am well pleased. Which tells us then, that even though the religious leaders were displeased, God was well pleased. Amen? So whatever Jesus did, didn't upset God. That's the key. Alright, next. In addition to this, the Spirit-filled Life Bible says that the heavenly voice speaks the combined words of Psalm 2-7, in which God addresses the anointed king as his son, and Isaiah 42.1, in which God addresses his servant, in whom he delights, and upon whom he has put his spirit. Thus the Son of God will perform the ministry of the servant of God by the power of the Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus did when he went everywhere teaching, preaching, and healing the sick. It was all for the benefit of others. And why he would call his disciples to him in Mark 9.35 and say to them, Anyone who wants to be the first must take the place and be the servant of everyone else. Remember? The greatest of all 
is the servant of all. All right? And I, I begin to understand this more and more. I begin to understand, in order to serve everyone, you need to be good at everything. Do you understand? See, a lot of times people look at that and think, oh, a servant, oh, washing feet, and, you know, bring me a glass of water, and no, no, no. Remember how he served people. He would raise people from the dead. He would heal people. He would feed them when they're hungry. In everything he did, he was serving them. Did you get that? You see, a lot of times we don't understand that our serving mankind and serving people has to be in the power of God. That the service they're looking for isn't you just kind of putting your hand on them and saying everything is going to be okay while the ship sinks. Alright? Now I've done counseling courses and stuff and you know, basically what they say is just be there for the person. And that's a good thing, that's a great thing. But you know what? We need to go beyond that. We need to be in the place where when we lay hands on people, stuff happens. Amen? And it is, a, again, like I said, it's a place that we slowly work towards. It's not something that you, you know, one day wake up and suddenly you're glowing in the dark. <laughs> Which will be concerning. But, you know, it's, it's not like that. It's little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. As you hear, as you grow, as you begin to expand on the inside. Amen? You allow God's power to start flowing through you. And you know the only problem that God has? is the limitations you put. You limit Him. His power is full on all the time. Which is, I believe, the reason why Jesus always says, where is your faith? It's another way of saying, where is the open door that will allow God's power to flow through you? Why do you keep shutting that door? Amen? All right. Okay, so, it is only through serving others... Will we ever gain prominence in the kingdom of God? And we'll look at this later when we get to Mark 9.35. Now following Matthew's account, Luke in his gospel goes on to conclude the baptism of Jesus in Luke 3.23 by stating his age as being about 30, which happened to be the age when the Levites began their service in the tabernacle. I thought that was interesting. And the age at which Jews believed a man was fully mature. And then going on to list his genealogy from verses 23 through to the end of the chapter, that's verse 38. Alright, so in brief, I really briefed it down for you guys. And I sweet? Okay. <laughs> Alright, so you have to read all the genealogies. I squished them all into this one verse. Hence you have Luke 3, 23 and then 38. Because those are the two important verses. Alright, so it says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which is Luke's way of saying again that Joseph had no part to play in the conception of Jesus. And then he goes and says, the son of Heli, and then the rest of the genealogy of Jesus, to the end of the chapter, which concludes by saying in verse 38, that he was the son of Adam, the son of God. All of which we've already covered previously. We actually did that. Okay, we went through all that. Okay. Moving on. Hallelujah. Now, <laughs> having been baptized by John and filled with the Spirit, the first thing that Jesus does is by the leading of the Spirit, declare war on the kingdom of darkness. A lot of people look at it and go, Oh, this is when Jesus got tempted. Oh, don't ever look at it like that. That is demonic thinking. All right? 
And in the next session, because we've run out of time, we'll look at this in detail. I would like to get through the first temptation in this, in this next session if we can. But let me introduce it to you now. Is that okay? Let me spend a few minutes on this. All right. That's why it goes in to say, Then Jesus, Luke adds, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. With Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, adding the sense of urgency to it by saying, Immediately, the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where He was with the wild beast to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, Luke says he ate nothing, and afterward he was hungry. Now, as I said to you before, whenever several accounts cover something, I will take all the accounts and put them together somehow. Alright, so that you have everything that every gospel writer wrote. Now, I need to very quickly, I, I took something for granted, and I, I don't know whether I actually taught this to you. Uh, and if, if I did, wonderful. If I didn't, my apologies. But one of the things you're going to find is Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of the same accounts listed in their Gospels. They are called synoptic Gospels. Do you understand the word synoptic? Okay. Synoptic means to see together. Okay? In short form. All right? Which means those three Gospels align a lot of times in telling the same story. They will give different details, which is wonderful. And so we'll get a, a fuller picture when we consult all three. All right? Which is the reason why I will insert. I'll, sometimes I may jump from one gospel to another within the verses, because that one has more detail. But then I'll include all the details of the other ones, whatever it's missed out, to let you know. So if we're jumping around here and there a little bit, it's all in a straight line. I'll always give you the other verses around it, so that you can actually follow it all the way through. Okay. Now, having said that, what we're going to find here, this is one of those key places where all the Gospels are going to talk about this. All right? And so we're going to get Matthew, Mark, and Luke talking about this temptation. And so we're going to see everything that they said and consider everything that they said. Amen? In light of what we begin to understand now of what actually happened. You are going to be extremely blessed as we start looking at this, I want, don't want to go any further. <laughs> because once we get into this, we can't stop. Okay, and so uh, I prefer to have a break now. Come back and have a little bit of a longer session, maybe next one. Uh, than to start this and then drop it and you having coffee. Alright, so take a break and we'll be back in a minute.